this morning, uh, I'm going to ask us to come back to the passage we were looking at last week because we're going to go back and in deeper into the second part of it. And it's, uh, it's Romans 12. So if you have your Bible, you can open your Bibles to Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. And this is the passage that we, we were looking at last week. And if you didn't hear that message, please go back to it because I'll refer to things in it today. And it's, it's, it's online. We're, by God's grace, we're getting that back together thanks to the big help of Brando Minich. Becca and Pam are trying to help him too. Brando, you're back there, right? Thank you, brother, so much for your faithfulness. He's going to help us get our sermons back online. Let's say this together. This is the very word of God. May he speak it into our hearts. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... Say this together. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Pray with me. Lord, open our hearts to this truth. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Only you can make these words effectual in our hearts for growth. That's why your spirit lives in us. That's why your son died for us, that we might be conformed to his image and that you might do this this morning, this very morning through your word. Please help. Help me not to be confusing. Help me to be clear. Help me not to be excessively long, but properly, Lord, the time you would have me give, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray your blessing on my church family. Amen. What a joy it is and a privilege it is for me to preach to you guys. I I was really met by the Lord in worship. I just want to tell you guys, I I love this church. I love you people. I love praying for you. I love seeing you fight for him and walk in him. And I pray this morning that he would continue to work in you, his will and his purposes. Some of you guys know my, my, my testimony, but I want to briefly, very briefly, share some of it again as we seek the Lord this morning. About eight or nine years old or so, I saw a movie called The Omen. It was about a boy who would become the Antichrist in the end times. I looked a lot like him as a little boy, so I got teased. People around me very close to me said, you're the Antichrist, ha, 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 you look just like Damien, you're the Antichrist. They were joking. But something in my mind clamped down on that thought like a bear trap, clamps down on the ankle of a grizzly, And I could not get that thought unclamped out of my head for 11 years. What followed was 11 years, some of the most pivotal developmental years in a person's life, of tremendous anxiety, condemnation, shame, deep fear, absolute hopelessness. I was crushed by the weight of this awful thing I was destined to become. I was obsessed about the end of the world. On top of this, without Christ, I had no way to live for the God I knew about. I had no way to live for the deliverance I wanted. Along with my suffering, I was still a selfish, arrogant, and sometimes cruel young man and teenager. Interested in myself above all things. Every day, this fear tormented me. Either extremely loudly or just in the back, ready to ruin all my hopes that would try to perk up. In 1992, God opened my eyes to the gospel and I saw that all of my sins, antichrist committed or not, were put on Jesus Christ. He died for them all. 
felt the Lord almost say to me, it's fine if you're going to be the Antichrist. I died for it all. It's moot. That thought that had imprisoned me for 11 years exploded like a Roman column turned to dust, never returned. I saw it every day for 11 years and it never came back to this day. I know that sounds strange, weird, but that's who I was, especially before I knew the Lord. My mind was a battlefield. Suddenly for the first day in my life, I knew hope. But the muscles of worry and fear and doubt, obsessive thinking, deep discouragement were strong when I was saved. And though I had hope, a new hope that's never died, I still had these old muscles of thinking. And soon I found a battle needed to be waged, a battle for my mind, a battle with subjective thinking. I was used to living very differently than an identity I had now as God's child. I had lots of voices, not audible by God's grace. He can help with that too. But I had lots of voices telling me that I wasn't God's kid. I blasphemed the spirit. I wasn't chosen. Jacob I loved. Albert I hated. But I fought, and I fought with scripture. Again and again and again, God drove me to scripture. My mind soon became a little bit, bit by bit, bit by bit, bit by bit, by bit, bit, stable, or peacer, peacefuler. Never perfect to this day, that's for sure. But the mind, the conscious experience, your active thinking mind is a very tricky place. It's full of great, great possibilities. It's full of great responsibility. It's full of great danger. It's, it's a place for many of us where we battle hopelessness daily, anxiety daily, lust daily, dread daily, hatred, anger, exhaustion. These are the common enemies that meet you and I each morning And they try to bully us throughout the day. And they drive us into the mind's desires and feelings. Also the place of the mind. And Paul says this place, the mind, is now the domain of God for the believer. He owns it now. He intends to transform it through his Holy Spirit, renew it so that we can live out who we truly are in him. And that's what this passage, if we could put it back up, says. Let's go to that passage. Paul says in the second part of verse two, the first part of verse two, do not be conformed to this world. The world doesn't represent beautiful oceans and earth as God created it. It represents the global culture of rejecting God, literally godlessness, a world that doesn't know him because it doesn't want him. This rejection permeates the minds, the hearts, and the thoughts and desires and the choices of mankind. It's all around us. And typically, it's around us so much that we can often not even notice it. It can look really nice. It can look religious and pious. And people who go through the externals of worship, whether they're Christian churches or Muslim places of worship or synagogues, and yet where they worship, their hearts deny the truth about Jesus Christ. Their hearts deny his great salvation. Their hearts deny his claim on their life. It can look organized like governments and businesses that deny God's command to rule and subdue the earth in a way that expresses his glory and compassion and wisdom. It's everywhere. It can look very constructive, like middle-class America, the American dream that forgets to live for his glory and instead lives primarily for self-pleasure, for money, houses, popularity, prestige, with no regard for his right 
to be loved above all things and have the first place in our hearts. And yes, it can look awful. And we're more used to it looking awful, like drug dealing in high schools and sex trafficking in China and Islamic terrorism and Somali warlords. Paul says wherever it is, in middle America or Somalia, don't live in a world where Christ is not at the top, where you're not fighting for Christ to be where he needs to be, where he should be at the very top, where he's not honored as king and savored as our deliverer and depended upon as our savior. He says, don't do that. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed. I want to talk about that now. This Greek word, metamorphothi. It's like the word you hear, right? Metamorphosis. That makes us think of a slug or caterpillar sluggy getting into a cocoon and exploding into this beautiful butterfly. That's what God wants for our minds. It's a word that was used in the Gospels one time to represent Jesus' transfiguration when he went onto the mountain and his appearance changed from a regular appearance to a face that shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. That's where God wants our mind going. That kind of transformation. And how does this happen? He says it happens by the renewal of our minds. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What's renewal mean? It it, it means a lot like it sounds, not like renew the warranty, but renew, made new again and again and again. Renewal, more and more and more and more, newness, 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 change from the old to the new, to see new life created, new thoughts created, new desires created, new understandings created, leaving behind the dead existence of what you used to be in your mind. New vital strength to what was once deception and darkness and confusion and uselessness. What was once a spiritual production line of sin and hopelessness and death is now a place of love and peace and righteousness and faithfulness. That's where God wants us going in our minds. And this picture of being transformed, it is a picture of a present tense process going on and on and on. You might translate it this way. Always be, always be being transformed. Always be being transformed by the constant enduring renewal of your mind be always moving in your mind from the lies and deceits and hopelessnesses and darkness of old patterns to the truth and the values and the hopes and the desires and the certainties of the kingdom to come and the deliverance we have now let that drive your mind let that be the thing that drives your desires and thoughts and emotions how do we do this Right? How do we do this? That sounds great. I want that. How do I do it? Well, my, my biggest burden this morning, I pray that God would transfer that burden to clarity for you and excitement and joy for you. My biggest burden is that the first biggest part of this answer of how we do this is that we don't. We do, but in a big way, we don't. The Holy Spirit does this the Holy Spirit does this I mean yes absolutely we cooperate we participate pointless to put these verses on paper if Paul didn't mean that but we're not the main actors in verse 2 we're the ones being acted upon now go back to my message last week we are the main actors in verse 1 
seeing God's deliverance, his promises, his mercy, his grace sufficient for every battle, we are to offer ourselves. We're to do that. But then Paul says, when you do that, you are positioning yourself to be renewed, to be transformed. And I say that we don't do this as much as the Holy Spirit is meant to say he does this in this passage for two main reasons. First, because the verb here is passive. It's simply that. Be transformed. Be being transformed. It's not something that we do. It's something that is done to us in the verb construction. But two, because this phrase, renewal, the renewal of your mind, the renewal of who you are, it occurs in many other places in the epistles. And through those places, it's clear who the main actor is in the renewal of our minds. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says this. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. God has made you new and he is finishing the job to look exactly like the image of himself. That's what that's saying. So live that way. (laughs) Titus 3, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, appeared and his love for mankind, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing, the making new of the Holy Spirit. If you've come to Jesus Christ, he's made you new. And you are to participate in that work that he's continuing to do to renew that newness, keep it new, make it more and more and more and more new. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 through 4. This is perhaps the clearest picture of this Holy Spirit work. Though it's amazing, Holly brought this today. It just melted my heart. God is at work here. He's speaking to us. He put it in Holly's heart to bring this this morning. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. How is this happening? Here's how it's happening, Paul says. We all with unveiled face, Satan's no longer allowed to lie to us about Jesus, we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed as we see him for who he is. Into the same image, Jesus Christ, we're coming to look more and more like him from glory to glory. And who does this? Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Folks, if you've come to Christ, you've come to the place where you recognize you're a sinner who cannot save yourself, and you've truly come to him for his salvation and his forgiveness, and you've trusted him for that, you are not who you were. You are new. And I'm here to remind you again this morning, because you need reminding, and I need reminding, of what you already know. If that's you, you have another person living inside you. You have another person living inside you, the Holy Spirit. And he lives in you, to operate and to oversee this renewal experience in your life. In your very mind. Yes, at the core, you are new. But the rest of you, your thoughts, your desires, and your body, 
has some catching up to do. And your body is going to have to wait for the resurrection to be made fully new. But the Spirit's not waiting like that for your mind. The Holy Spirit is not waiting for the resurrection of your body to make your conscious existence, your active awareness, new and renewed. He began that process when he opened your mind to the truth of Jesus Christ. And he made you love him. He made you depend on him. And he's not going to stop working on that mindset. So I want to stop here and ask you a very duh question that Paul also asks the Corinthians here in, in verse chapter 6. This is a duh question. It's like, duh, right? But I'm going to ask you, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? I know you know this, but do you know this? See, I think we can intuitively think of the Holy Spirit's presence in us in this very holy but so mysterious way that he almost becomes functionally irrelevant in us. Like, like he's this grand figure, this distant great uncle who shows up one day to our house to come and live with us. He's the most important, weighty, and dignified person we've ever met. A great dignitary from a foreign kingdom. And he's come to make his claim upon our home. And he comes inside and we welcome him. But then we watch him shake our hand and then silently go up the stairs. He goes up the second flight of stairs and he goes maybe to the very top floor to the most beautiful room in our house and he shuts the door and sits on the bed. And he's up there. We know he's up there. I mean, somehow he's up there. But what? How do we see him, know him, talk to him? I mean, it's, it's a big deal, Right? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll notice him here and there. Maybe at the resurrection, we'll really enjoy him and see him and give him credit for all the renovation work he did in the house. But when he was doing that stuff, we just didn't really see him that much. But man, we're so glad he's up there in that room. That's not the biblical picture of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not. Do you know that the indwelling Holy Spirit is the daily functional difference in our lives that defines our new covenant life. Like, Jesus died to purchase this new state where we have the Holy Spirit in us. And that in the Old Testament is the primary way that the Old Covenant is distinguished from the New Covenant. The Holy Spirit's indwelling presence is the way the Old Testament distinguishes the Old Covenant before Christ died and rose from the New Covenant experience that we're supposed to have now. Listen to Jeremiah 31. You can put that up, Brando. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. Let's say this last line together. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's Jesus Christ right there. 
purchasing something for you. The Holy Spirit writing God's law within you and on your heart. And this leads to a restored relationship. I will be their God. They will be my people. They will know me. They will know me. They will have a relationship with me. No need for teaching does not mean we're not going to have teachers. Jesus taught. Paul taught. Peter taught. It means they will not simply know God externally through rites of ceremony and laws written on stone. (laughs) They will know me inside. John says in one of his letters in 2 John, you have no more need for anyone to teach you for the anointing that you have received teaches you. He spends the whole letter teaching. (laughs) What he's saying is the spirit lives inside you and he's taking these words of mine and he's personally teaching you about them. That's how we know the Bible is true. The spirit inside us confirms God's word to us. Ezekiel makes it even more clear. Let's go back and put Ezekiel up. This is the new covenant in Ezekiel. Let's say this together. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That is the most amazing best news in the the universe. Listen to this. Say this again. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. How is God able to do this? I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Jesus Christ has purchased this for you. A new heart, a new spirit, God's spirit in you with God's heart and the revelation of himself, his character, his ways, his will written on your heart, knowing God as your God, him walking with us as our God and we walking with him as his people, which will be complete in that picture Holly brought to us in Revelation, when she spoke that word to us. But that's not waiting for us simply until that day. That's happening now. Our God being our God. We being his people in relationship with him. Does, it, does any of that sound like the dignified grand great uncle who lives upstairs that we never see? Listen to what Paul, living in this new age of the spirit, expects of our interaction with the Holy Spirit. Listen to Paul paint a picture of someone we recognize who empowers our entire life with God. We see it in his rebuke in Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, before whose eyes Jesus Christ Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? They had an experience of the Holy Spirit. They were throwing it away. They were denying the work of Jesus Christ to forgive their sins and make their iniquity remembered no more. And when they did that, they were crushing the life of the Spirit within them. Paul says, no, no, no. He appeals to their experience of the Holy Spirit. Remember this happened to you? You received the Spirit. Your lives changed. Are you going to make it up through circumcision now? When he was operating in your heart, new life and new fruit, and now you're just going to like get, do feast days and get circumcised? 
You're going to tra- trade the internal new covenant for the external old covenant? Paul says here, the Spirit gives, in, in Romans 8, the Spirit gives our conscious mind a new attitude, a new mindset, and he leads us according to it. Listen to what he says here in Romans 8. Those who live according to the Spirit, let's go to Romans 8. It should be right up there, B. There you go. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds in the things of the Spirit. For the mind, on the, the, the mind on the flesh is death, but to the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. This is how Paul describes the life of the Christian. It's a life following the Spirit's leading. If you don't know how he leads you, how are you going to live the Christian life? If you're not aware that he leads you, that it's by his power that you put to death the deeds of the flesh, it's going to be a much harder, weaker, less robust experience for you. Paul's expectation is that this life is lived by the Spirit. We would understand this and we would follow him. Look at this verse. This is from Galatians. Here Paul talks about the Spirit as one who who has desires that he expresses inside us. Desires different from the old world desires. And that we sense that tension in us. And we have to go to battle for those desires that are part of the new heart we have from the Spirit. He describes it this way. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Meaning you're not going to break any laws. There's other ways he means that, but simply put there, if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to please the Lord. You're going to bear fruit for him. And he says if we live by the Spirit, if we were born again through the Holy Spirit's power, then let's walk by him. Paul is describing someone who leads us in and through desires that are godly in our heart. That's the spirit working. And they oppose the desires of the flesh. That's not the spirit working. And he says, follow the desires of the spirit. Folks, this is where our mind battle is. This is where the renewal takes place. This is where the spirit's doing his work in our active awareness if he's one we're to walk by, if he's one who affects our mindsets, if he's one whose desires we're to give ourselves to, if he's one who's leading we are to follow, then he must be a being who expresses himself in our conscious existence. He can't be that dignitary guy who lives up in the, in the attic and shuts the door. We never interact with him. We never understand him. That's not our life. These passages make no sense unless he is a real person who can really move in our hearts and lead us. They just don't work. But do we even expect him to? Like, do we expect him to? Do we really get up in the morning and expect him to lead us? This is crucial, to expect him to. Another word for expecting him to is called faith. Jesus did not give a big thumbs up to people who lacked faith in him. 
God says in Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards, he helps those who seek him. Listen, if, <laughs> if the bus that I need to take to get to wherever I'm going, we don't take buses a lot probably, but sometimes we do still. If, if the bus stop is at 7th and Market, but I don't go there because I don't expect the bus to meet me there, I'm not going to get on the bus. I'm not going to see the bus. doesn't mean the bus isn't going to come. But if I expect, if I'm expecting the bus to show up at 7th and Market, and I go there expecting it, waiting on it, guess what? I'm way more likely to catch the bus. Paul tells us, expect to be led. Look for his leading. Expect his desires to, to be working in you. Paul tells us to yield to, to walk with a being, a real personal being who really lives inside us. And that being is Jesus Christ in his spirit living inside us. Remember, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In that day you will know that I am in you and you are in me and I'm in my Father doesn't mean that we follow him, understand him perfectly or mistake-free, but we must make it our business to grow in understanding his leading and following him. And listen, before, I, I don't want to tell you something that I'm not trying to tell you. This is not an invitation to a, a life of endless, confusing insanity of subjective speculations. Red shirt, blue shirt, black socks, white socks. He doesn't care. One of the most amazing pictures in 1 Corinthians 7 that someday we will get to, I keep saying. Paul says, if you want to get married, get married. <laughs> if you don't want to get married, don't get married. I mean, wouldn't you think like, man, wouldn't the Holy Spirit tell me exactly who to marry? Such a big life decision. No, he's giving you a brain. He wants you to walk with him. He doesn't erase you. <laughs> Mary and the Lord, yes. you like, Amy, she loves Jesus, marry her. It's okay. <laughs> you don't want to marry her? Being kind to her, she understands that? You don't marry her. It's okay. <laughs> no, there are tools we use that you use to hear his voice, to know what he's saying to you, to know what he's not saying to you. Above all things, primarily, what we submit our sense of what he's saying to is, is the Bible. This is how we grow in recognizing his voice. Because it's his voice. <laughs> it's what he sounds like. He wrote that book. You can't separate the Holy Spirit from Scripture. It's his book. You can put on every single Bible, by the Holy Spirit at the bottom. <laughs> the Bible, by the Holy Spirit. Copyright, 4,000 years. Different people, different times. <laughs> it's full of his heart. It's full of his personality. He speaks authoritatively through it in a way he speaks authoritatively in no other way. If we don't read that book, we won't recognize him as we should. And we're more likely to be fooled by the voice of an imposter. It's in his word that I come to know these mercies of Jesus Christ, this grace that saved me, this spirit that fills me. 
It's in this word that I come to know the salvation and the strength he promises me every day. And that grace, that mercy, remember last week, it's by his mercies alone that I can present myself for his use. He has to be my ongoing foundation as he is in this holy book for how I can even hope to hear him and walk with him. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Peter says it's through believing the promises of God. Peter's talking about the promises in the gospel, the promises enshrined once and for all in his scriptures that we become partakers of the divine nature. The Bible is irreplaceable. But the Bible is not meant to replace the Holy Spirit and his active work in you. The Pharisees knew the Bible, at least the Bible they had, way better than the disciples. They prayed way more than the disciples. But they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't recognize Jesus Christ. And yes, we need to pray. It's how we talk to the Lord through his Spirit. It's how we relate to the Godhead and the Holy Spirit. He works in our prayers. It's how we wrestle with him so that his desires will prevail in us. He fashions our prayers when we cry out to him. He brings to bloom our yearnings for more and more and more of him in our prayers. Just like he did in worship today for me. You know, I, he just, we sang, we sang, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and he just, this morning I had an experience of God's love. When I was saying your love is better than life, I just was feeling that. I was emotionally, emotionally affected by the Holy Spirit. So praying is vital. But he lives in us, whether we're praying or not. And listen, we're to pray unceasingly. And the more you know of the Holy Spirit, the more you're going to be praying. The more you experience his presence and his love, the more it's going to drive you to pray and call out to him and to stand on God's truth and to love his word. But whether we pray or not, he lives in us. Whether we read the Bible or not, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, he lives in us. And I think we need to come to grips with acknowledging his internal presence and growing and relying on and asking him for help each day to lead us internally, to express his desires in us, to make it clear how we're to walk with him, not simply his propositional truth, love all people. No, he, he's a real person inside us helping us understand how to work that out. The other day I was talking to somebody on the phone trying to be a pastor and I felt very deficient in myself and very, I really longed to serve the Lord for this person. And all I could just do was just keep praying. God, help me see, help me see, help me see. And all I can tell you is I began to see. I began to understand what words to say and what words not to say. All I can tell you is I experienced the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit as a real person in me helping me get through this day. God help me. I can't see. I don't know the way. I don't have a technical manual to describe every instance. You know, God has different kids just like you have different kids. Parents don't treat their kids all the same way. God doesn't work in all of us through his Holy Spirit the same way, but he works in all of us. And we cry out to him, help me, Lord. Help me see Oh, he's so good. He does it. 
when I have that impulse to lower my voice and apologize once again, that's not simply morality or ethics. That's a person leading me. I have a person inside me leading me. When I have that sense that I'm needing to be patient, and I don't want to be patient, but I need to be patient. Folks, that's a miracle. That's a person. That's God inside of me. There's no greater miracle than that. When I can't let go of that nagging idea to pray for her, whoever she is, because compassion is boiling up in my heart. That's the Holy Spirit. God himself inside you, inside me. When I have that sense that I should turn this show off because I need my rest and I'm going to be stealing time from my wife or my time in prayer and I'm sowing into my flesh and I hear that voice saying, turn off the TV. And I don't want to turn off the TV. (laughs) But I tell him, I need help because I don't want to turn off the TV, Lord. Help me. You said you'd provide a way out. No temptation overcomes. This happened a couple of nights ago. I didn't want to turn off the TV. And I remembered, you promised, if you want me to turn off this TV, you've got to deliver me because you said no temptation's going to overcome me. That's not coming. But you'll provide a way out. So provide a way out, please. Because I don't want to go to bed now. But I know I'm going to wreck my day if I watch this show for another hour and a half, which I'm liable to do if you don't deliver on your promise. And you know what happened? That desire to keep watching the show, when I just asked God, please help me, and I reminded him of his promise, it just, ooh, it just withered on the vine. And the power to turn off the TV, it just grew and grew and grew into this big, robust will. And I just did it. That wasn't me. I know that's a simple thing. You might think it's a simple thing, but it's not a simple thing. It's faithfulness. It's not betraying my family. It's not stealing time. It's not living like a fool. And you can extrapolate TV to all kinds of other scenarios when it's too much. We know that as soon as we recognize his voice, in this realm. And I want to say something, particularly the spirit's realm and domain is the domain of love. That's where he guides, that's where he shapes, that's where that's what he's always trying to move us to is love. Actions of love for the Lord and for others. That's why I said earlier he doesn't care about your red shirt or your black shirt. Unless you're going on a date night and your wife really loves the red shirt and you really love the black shirt, he might want to say, She loves the red shirt. Why do you wear the red shirt? Because that's the way to love her, right? But otherwise, he doesn't care about that stuff. But as soon as I recognize his voice, mark this. I have the promise that he's going to give me the power to follow it. He promised, folks, no temptation will overcome you, but that is common to man. And I will be faithful, says the Holy Spirit. I will provide a way out so that you can endure the temptation and follow me. As we do this, as we yield ourselves again and again to his leading, he's renewing our mind. He's making those pathways 
stronger and stronger. He's letting those old fleshly pathways be abandoned and close up more and more and more and more. For some of you guys, for me, this is a lifelong battle. You know, these, in some ways, the Spirit delivers us miraculously from certain sins in a day. In others, it's a life story of His deliverance. Stumbling and getting up, stumbling and getting up again and again and again. But He's faithful. And that's the renewal of our mind. More and more, we see life as He sees it. We want life to be as He wants it for us. Paul says as we do this, our mind becomes a place, he says in Romans 8, of life and peace. It becomes a mind more and more ordered around his affections, his values, his heart, his truth. It becomes a mind that's sound and healthy. The mindset. I'm not talking about biochemistry. There are some people who have to take medicine because there's a place your mind sits in Your active consciousness has to engage with this thing called brain matter and that brain matter can be really messed up. And some people have to take medication for that. Some people are miraculously delivered from that. But Paul says, (laughs) however that pans out, he says, as you continue to be renewed by the mind, your mind is going to be a peaceful place, a place of life. Don't we want that mind? And that's what he's been doing slowly, slowly, slowly in my mind for 27 years. I've gone from hopelessness to hope. I've gone from deceived to delivered. I've gone from disorder and chaos to more and more peace through his spirit working on my mind, my awareness, my conscious existence, my desires, my thoughts, my emotions. I am not done yet. I'm not who I'm to be, but I'm not who I was. And he does this for all of his kids Every day, well, many, many days since I first sent that prayer out to you guys, which I refer to now just about every single time I preach now. (laughs) Um, Maybe of all people, that prayer is really just for me. But I've been praying it many mornings. I can't say I've been faithful doing it every morning, but many mornings I've just been coming to the Lord and using that prayer as a way to offer myself to him and then see his mercies again so that I can offer myself upon those mercies to him. And he's at work in that. I can tell. I'm not trying to boast in myself. I'm just saying, this is here for us, folks. This is available to us. A renewed mind, which leads to a renewed life, more and more and more fruit, is our heritage in Jesus Christ. And it is available available to us as we participate in his renewing by doing what he says to do right at the beginning of this passage. At the very top of the passage, we're coming back to the beginning. Offer yourself. Present yourself. Give your time to him. Give your day to him. Tell him, Lord, I will do what you want me to do today. But you gotta show me. You gotta lead me. And I'll get in your word. You've gotta speak to me through it. I'll pray to you. You gotta hear my prayer. You gotta, you gotta, I'm presenting myself to you. There's this old movie, Field of Dreams, from the 80s. Some of you guys remember it like I do. The, The main character, I think his name is Roy. He hears this whisper, right? What's the whisper? Isn't that creepy? <laughs> we could all hear it in this room. If you build it, they will come. He's like, look at Rick Allen. Where is everybody? He goes to this marriage crisis because she's going to believe in him, that he's not kooky. 
I think Paul is saying here, if you present yourself to the Lord each day, he will come. He will renew your mind through his Holy Spirit. If you offer yourself to him for his use, don't tell him what he has to do or what he can't do. Give him the blank check again each morning. He's a gentleman, folks. He is not a jerk. He is not a jerk, and he's not crazy. He's trustworthy. He's the best guy. He's the kindest man. He bears the biggest burdens in you so that you can enjoy an easy yoke and a light burden. But you got to give him yourself every day. You, you can't be led if you won't let him lead you. You can't walk where he's walking with you if you're determined to walk your own way. You can't yield to him if you're keeping him in the rearview mirror and he's stuck in the yield lane. You can't desire his desires if you're committed to the desires of your flesh. So we're back to the beginning. Will you see his mercy? Will you recall his promises, his grace, what he's done for you, who he is in you to give you the power to walk? Will you, in light of all that, knowing he has made it possible for you to do the miraculous, which is to walk with him, knowing that you have no power in yourself, but you have a power in you that's greater than any power in the universe, will you, in light of all that, offer yourselves for his leading? Offer yourselves for his desiring in you, for his walking ahead of you so you can walk with him. If we offer ourselves to be led, he will lead us and he will give us the power to follow him. I close with this quote from John Owen. The duties God requires of us are not in proportion to the strength we possess in ourselves. Rather, they are proportional to the resources available to us in Christ. We don't have the ability in ourselves to accomplish the least of God's tasks. This is a law of grace. When we recognize it is impossible to perform a duty in our own strength, we will discover the secret of its accomplishment. But alas, this is a secret we often fail to discover. Apart from me, you can do nothing. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Offer yourselves to him. He's gentle. He's humble of heart. He'll show you. He'll show you. Could I ask the band to come back up?